This podcast contains material that is intended for mature audiences and may not be suitable for all listeners. Enjoy. Welcome to TGS Presents, a podcast of the Tailgate Society, and brought to you by Dead Eye Barbecue Sauce, the best damn barbecue sauce in the known universe. Find them on the web at deadeyebbq.com. You can find us at thetailgatesociety.com. I am Tim Johnson, joined this evening by one half of the spectacular Tailgate Society podcast, Culture Check, Mr. Arnold Woods. Arnold, how are we doing this evening? I'm doing good, man. I, you know, we've been talking beforehand, and you've been really hyping up Culture Check, hyping up the pod. It makes me feel good, you know, just to be, be in your presence. I love Bitter Units. You know, I enjoy all the the TGS podcasts. So um, it's a good evening. You know, recording at night right now. I feel good, man. I feel excited. Awesome. Well, yeah, and that's not that's not bluster, man. I I really enjoy Culture Check. It's been one of those where I find myself listening to it as I'm walking my dog or as I'm walking around the lake. It's been one of those where it's been fun because you guys cover everything from you know literature to movies to to music. But man, I, I'll let you talk a little bit more. What explain for the people listening what Culture Check is? So yeah, it's a, it's a pod that I do with Emily Cornell. Shout out to Emily down there in Texas, and we really had this idea months ago of doing a pod together she does sports and corks which is a um a sports podcast with her other cohort um co-host emily and um the two emily's there but yeah we've been we had been kind of messaging each other and we kind of wanted to do something um together we had a, a lot of similar interests pop culture wise and so i think that um we play well off of each other because we wanted to sort of look at pop culture through like a black lens, but we're a little bit different in age, not too different. She's a little bit younger than I am. We grew up in different areas, so we have different experiences. And so um, I think that we kind of wanted to engage with each other and, and engage with the culture in a way that was kind of uh, different from the other TGS podcasts. And so what we've been doing recently um, you know, we we started with actually Harry Potter. We we mm-hmm. talked about that for a while, and then we talked about um, movies in terms of like black performances in in movies. And then the latest incarnation has been albums. We've been looking at albums from different parts of our lives. From we looked at two albums each, um, so four albums total. Two albums from from each of us. We selected from when we were in elementary school, middle school, high school, college, and post college. And then we did an album from the year that we were born. And then the last episode that we did, which was last week, was um, albums from before we were born. So that um, part of the podcast has been really rewarding for me as someone who you know, grew up playing music and who enjoys music and, and has a really deep relationship with it. So it's been a lot of fun, man. I've, I've, I've had a really good time doing it and we've had a, a really positive response from it. So it's been great. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a lot of fun to listen to so far. Those of you listening, please check out Culture Check as part of the TGS network, as well as all the other Tailgate Society podcasts, uh, Matinee Baseball, Drunk Dialing, We're Not That Drunk, Sports and the Corks, 
Bitter Units, Old Man Strength, a whole host of other podcasts that we have. But make sure you, you go ahead and, and like, subscribe, download. Please give Emily and Arnold a listen. It has been fantastic. Man, have you uh, noticed that like 90% of our podcasts involve alcohol some, somehow? <laughs> bitter Units and sports they, they, courts and drunk dialing and I'm like, damn. They, they do. There, there seems to be a, a theme I I don't know if drinking helps you listen to our podcasts, if it just helps us be more entertaining or just think we're more entertaining. Uh, I don't know. Uh, actually, between alcohol and music, this is a perfect segue into our special guest this evening. So joining us tonight is a friend of mine who I actually know because he uh, is – the owner extraordinaire of the brewery that I used to um, be a brewer for. Uh, but he's also just a friend of mine through, honestly, I, I think we've known each other virtually or literally before then as well. I, not only is, is he someone from the brewing world, he's someone from about seven different types of world, a serial entrepreneur. But the reason I wanted to bring him on tonight, since you guys have been talking about albums that kind of shaped your life and, and before uh, this man has also been a recording producer engineer. He's actually a, a current recording musician as well. I'll, I'll let him talk about uh, if he wants to plug his Spotify or anything, uh, if he's got a SoundCloud or anything like that. But tonight we are very excited to be joined by Michael Koppelman. Michael, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Tim. Thanks for having me on. This is awesome, and nice to meet you, Arnold. Great meeting you as well, Michael. Do you want, is it Michael? Do you want Michael? Mike? Either is fine. Okay. Michael is what I usually go with. I have called him a lot worse, so anything you <laughs> want to call him is probably fine. Uh, yeah, so, Michael, kind of what I, I said to, to kick this off is... You know, they've been going through a lot. We talk a lot about pop culture, and Arnold is kind of one of our resident pop culture experts on the Tailgate Society. There's, there's, there's not a whole lot of books or movies or music that you can throw at him that he's not at least got a passing knowledge of. Uh, but he's, you know, seriously, anything from, from Harry Potter to Bad Boys to Fleetwood Mac to uh, all over the place. Um, but... Uh, one thing we haven't really done is gotten sort of a insider look at the music industry. And since they're talking through kind of the recording industry, I thought it would be good to have someone who's actually sat down in a studio and and made music. So if you wouldn't mind, could you tell the listeners a little bit about uh, why the hell they should listen to you? <laughs> well, they shouldn't. <laughs> but if they're going to... Um, I'll just kind of give you the my brief like musical career synopsis, but um, my dad was I'm st going way back here, but my dad was a band teacher and he needed a bass player for his jazz band, so he brought home a bass like here's a bass, <laughs> and um, that was the start of my rock and roll career like um, playing bass, eventually playing guitar, playing it terribly. I was into terrible music as a child. I shouldn't say it. I my dad turned me on to some cool things like blood, sweat, and tears, and um, nothing else is coming to mind. Like 
but like horn based cool, like Chicago. He liked Chicago and Buzz Button Tears and bands like that. Then I quickly deteriorated into like Kiss, Sticks, Boston, like you know Midwestern pop rock. I never <laughs> heard the Beatles barely. I didn't know the Stones. I didn't know Zeppelin. Any of that stuff. I was a sheltered pop loving child. You- you were you're a uh, guy who listened to music you can drive a Camaro to. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and those people are still listening to that music. <laughs> but um, so I be- wanted to be a rock star, and I started writing songs and doing talent shows and things like that. And my parents were insistent that I go to college. And I knew this all along. Like, you're going to college, the end. So, like, running off to L.A. to be a musician wasn't immediately in my future so i was trying to find what could i where can i go to college that like is a music thing a recording music thing because i my dad brought home a four track reel-to-reel tape machine thing too so i started doing four track recordings like when i was in junior high school and stuff like that so i always loved recording and berkeley college of music that's berkeley with two e's in boston not the berkeley in california had a music recording program so eventually um, North Dakota boy went to Boston and studied recording there. And <clears throat> it's a cool school in that you actually get to use recording equipment. Like really nice studios are part of the curriculum. And I was still a guitar player and they make you be proficient at an instrument. So still writing songs, recording. Um, graduated and got a, a job at Royal Recorders, which is in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. It's not there anymore. It was in the old Playboy Club in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. This really <laughs> sweet studio in the middle of between Milwaukee and Chicago, where I worked with like bands like Enough's Enough, Adrian Ballou, um, Skid Row, did some things there. Really, I like crushed blow for these bands and like ran and got takeout food and stuff like that. <laughs> it was very, it was very rock and roll. <laughs> and I was a terrible, terrible assistant engineer. Cause I just kind of hung out with the band. So I was terrible at my job, <clears throat> but um, eventually I had friends in Minneapolis, Minneapolis, the biggest city near where I grew up in Grand Forks, North Dakota. Um, Paisley Park had just come to be, I became a Prince fan the Purple Rain era, and then loved his catalog prior to that, but I was a Purple Rain convert to Prince. So I was like, fuck, I want to go see Purple, or Paisley Park, and just went out there. I was like, can I have a tour? I'm an assistant engineer. I just want to see the studio, and they said yes because they were hiring assistant engineers. So the studio manager showed me around and basically offered me a job almost on the spot. I had to go through a process to actually get the job, but they needed people. So I just really lucked out totally by going to Paisley Park. Like, ding dong, can I see Paisley Park? And ended up getting a job there. Um, I don't, I don't know how much, you want me to just keep going here? Or yeah, go? yeah, yeah, go nuts. I, that's, Please that's do. Something, yeah. I, Please did, do. In that, in that process, did you have to talk to Prince at all? Did you even see Prince before you were hired? No, I never saw Prince up to, at this point, no. And that was after um, Batman had just come out. Mm-hmm. And which was a good record, and so Prince was you know riding pretty high after some you know less commercially successful things. Bat Batman was a pretty good record, um, but no. So I got hired as like the blowest person on the totem pole, like and Paisley Park then was getting was trying to book the studio out to other bands too, and Studio C was the sort of the smallest little 
room there. And I did tons of assistant engineering in Studio C with just literally no one you've ever heard of, just local bands and and other things like that. The first time I, well, I saw Prince like from far away a couple times, but then the first time I talked to him, he was, wanted to get into Studio A and the door was locked. And I walked by and he's like, can you unlock the door? And I was like, yes, yes, I can. I didn't say a word, but, you know, I was like heart racing. And I don't know what it is about Prince, why he was so sort of intimidating, because he's this short person and, you know, but just this huge presence, you know. So my first Prince story that I told everyone I knew was like, yeah, I unlocked studio for Prince. <laughs> like, that's literally all I did. And um, from there, um, just hanging out Paisley Park eventually... I don't know, I guess I don't know how it happened. Femi Gia was his engineer for Batman. And uh, people would just disappear occasionally at Paisley Park without any warning. And um, actually, I'm getting ahead of myself. At some point, <laughs> they wanted me to start assisting on the Prince Project with Femi, who was the engineer. And some of other 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 engineers too like they kind of tried out everyone because not everyone could really hang with prince and prince didn't really like a lot of people um and i had i knew guys that would go in there and be like fuck this i am never working for this man like <laughs> just sort of like that so it was both ways but i ended up being on the prince project with femi and managed to not get fired and then one day femi was just gone so again my prince story list started to grow where I was in the studio with Prince, really just plugging chords, getting takeout, like cleaning up after they were done. Um, nothing sexy. <clears throat> but, you know, got the calm to the vault. I'd have to go down to the vault and get tapes and stuff like that. So started to get indoctrinated into the Prince sort of program. And then Femi disappeared one day. I still don't know why he got fired. Eventually everyone gets fired from the Prince project. But one day he was just gone. And there was me and two other guys who were assistant engineers who started engineering for Prince. And he was super, like, derogatory to us. He gave us shit constantly. He gave me shit my whole career. He would just laugh at me and make fun of me and tell me that I wasn't good at things. Um, <laughs> by the end, it changed a little bit, but, like, super demanding like that. <clears throat> and at, um, at one point, he was insulting us all and he was like none of you guys can mix none of you guys can mix here and i was like you've never let me mix something and he's like oh yeah well mix this and like normally when someone mixes a song like for the prince project it takes like days or a week or more costs a lot of money he probably gave me an hour or two hours he left went home um it was like called me an hour later like are you done yet like no Call me an hour earlier. Are you done yet? Like, no. And he's like, okay, we'll just drop a tape by my house. So I ended up like staying up all night mixing this Prince song. And I was not fucking good at this at this point. I mean, I thought I was. In retrospect, who knows? You guys can decide. Um, can't I can't stop this feeling I got was the song that he wanted me to mix. And that mix is on the record, Graffiti Bridge. So eventually I went over to his house and handed him this cassette tape of my mix. And he called me. I guess probably at home, this is before cell phones. It was just like, yeah, man, I like the mix. And I had fucked it up. I like recorded a telephone intro and just tried to be creative with it. And he called me back the next day. We finished it, like he and I on the mixing console. And then that song got on the record. And that was sort of the start of my Prince career in a sense. Man, that's, that's, that's phenomenal. Um, I don't even 
I have so much in my head that I want to talk about. So this is just like, it's kind of almost like sensory overload a little bit. It's cool, Tim, for me to kind of jump in here a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Arnold, please, please ask away. I want to kind of go back to your to your beginnings and kind of even work up to the to the point that you just were talking about with Graffiti Bridge. And um, let me kind of, I'll, I'll start off by saying uh, I'm a little bit, I'm a big Prince fan. I'm a little bit younger. I think I'm the youngest one on the call. I know I'm the youngest one on the call. <laughs> and so when we were talking about um, the albums that we selected, the album that I selected, one of the, the two albums I selected to talk about on our last episode from before we were born, uh, the first one was Talking Book, and then the second was Parade. So Parade came out in 86, and I was born in 89. So that's kind of my, just my age range for, for, Such for a those great listening. Record. Yeah, it's my, it's, you know, it's the, it's his, it's the album of his that probably appeals to my musical sensibilities the most, which is why I wanted to, to, to kind of talk about it. And maybe we can talk about it a little bit too um, later on, but going back to the beginning of what you said, I, I really identified a lot with what you said about, um, you know, your dad being a, a band teacher and kind of, you know, thrusting the bass in your hand, that type of thing. Um, my dad wasn't musically inclined, but he wanted me to be. And so in second grade, he told me one day, like, you're going to play an instrument just like out of the blue. And I'm like, OK, like he's like, what do you want to play? I'm like, I have no idea. Like, I had no idea you're going to ask me this question or like, tell me this. Or, like, I don't, I don't know what the hell I'm going to play. I didn't say that in second grade, but, you know. <laughs> and uh, so he said, well, how about drums? And I said, OK, you know, fine. You could have told me he could have said tuba. He could have said whatever. And I would have said yes. So that's kind of like the beginning of my um my relationship to music is my father telling me one day, like, you're going to do this and me being like, okay. And so uh, I wanted to ask you though, I guess, um, cause for me, do you still play drums? If I, I do. I do. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I never, I've never recorded anything professionally. I, you know, I don't play as much as I used to. Um, sadly, uh, I haven't played a gig in a while or it's been maybe three, three years since I've uh, played, but, uh, you know, I play in my church, but like beyond that, um, yeah, it's been a few years. But um, there was an album, I guess, I wanted to ask you this question. So in 96, uh, the Fuji's The Score album came out and my cousin kind of like handed my sister and I this cassette and we played it. And like that was the album that really like opened my eyes to music in a lot of ways. Um, I was just really blown away by that record. And, you know, that's that was the young formative record for me and i'm seven years old but like that album just like really they're doing things on that album where i'm like i didn't know this type of music existed really like i was aware of rap and i was aware of you know um popular music but like listening to that album from beginning to end really like opened my eyes to the possibility of what music could be i guess in a sense so my question for you is like what was there an album like that for you you kind of talked about you know midwestern kid and you're listening to rock pop or whatever but was there a, a singular album or like multiple albums that you kind of listened to at a really early age that kind of opened you up to the possibilities of music? That's a great question. Um, there's, you know, my life is punctuated sort of with those records. Um, like I mentioned, Blood, Sweat and Tears. It, it was like the best of or something like that. That I memorized that record. I can still basically sing along with all of it. So that was like literally on an eight track tape that my dad had. Um, um, Kiss Destroyer, you know, Pink Floyd, The Wall, and then I was a trumpet player, so like Maynard Ferguson, uh, 
jazz trumpet player and i was never hugely into jazz but literally i memorized all those records too and i still feel like a kid when i listen to like maynard ferguson uh, and stuff like that so and then purple rain you know i was now in high school but purple rain for me was a huge turning point i guess in my life because really introduced me to more groove oriented music and this huge personality driven music and then obviously just how creative prince is like that record still is fucking phenomenally good you know yeah so um i would say that is kind of the arc there for me and and what's interesting about that so uh, Michael's humble and he's not going to talk about kind of all the instruments that he plays and he talks about jazz and I was telling Arnold about being on the brew deck and you coming in playing Chuck Mangione <laughs> so obviously you have a little bit more kind of a, a depth of all of that I love that you mentioned Blood, Sweat and Tears and Chicago because those are like band nerds type of rock and roll right? Horn, horn band <laughs> Oh, yeah. Which still has to come back and maybe has come back and I just don't know about it. But well, those yeah, sort of I, horn bands yeah. were awesome. Well, you know, when it, when I was in high school, that's when like that ska resurgence came and that was like punk for band nerds. Um, but, it, you know, you talk about Purple Rain and Prince and, and this multi-instrumentalist can kind of do it all type of thing and, and, and how revolutionary that was too, right? Yeah. And like someone that would grew up like recording on a four track like i loved like dirty mind and um controversy and and my idea i never said it out loud to prince was like prince should make records on a fucking eight track like he was doing 48 tracks and loops and in my era there he was just making these way overproduced records and then you listen to a song like sign of the times or anything off dirty mind and it's just super stripped down and he did it all himself and i just thought he should go back to those roots of just like no sit in your room man sit in your room and fucking do this shit you don't have to be at a fancy studio i just love that sort of stuff so you know that's what for sure part of what i loved about prince was he was who i wanted to be before i even knew who prince was i was like holy fuck well i guess kind of jumping into that since we're talking about Prince right now and you know I, I I guess I I was gonna ask you if there was any like you know favorite tracks that you enjoyed working on but like did you I guess so you you worked was the first record you worked with him on was it Graffiti Bridge yeah okay so grief Graffiti Bridge is like uh is that like 88 maybe or like I don't even I'm trying to think of because Batman is 89 and then um, yeah I think it's maybe 1990 90 or 90 yeah right in there so, I mean, me, like, I also love, I love Dirty Mind. I love Controversy. Um, you know, I don't know what it says about me. I don't tell a lot of people this, but, like, my favorite Prince song is Jackie Walk. So, I don't know if that... That's <laughs> no, a fucking brilliant song. It's it's it's, 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 it's incredible. Like, a, like a, a dirty rockabilly. You know, he's, just, he's <laughs> genius in his harmonies and everything like that. Um, but, like, was he looking for something different from, you know... I, and you can kind of mark the points, right? With stuff like, you know, the early era, you know, the For You, the, you know, controversy, even For You, Dirty Mind controversy are almost like three distinct kind of, you know, there's a there's there's a linear thing there. But, you know, and then you get into like 1999 and Purple Rain, where he's kind of like the biggest act in music and it's more, you know, stadium rock type type shit. Um, and so he's kind of past that era, right? And now it's, you know, it's Graffiti Bridge or it's, you know, Love Sexy or whatever. Like, is he, while you were working with him, is he telling you or is he telling the people around him, like, I want something different from 
my mid eighties shit. Like, what is it's is that like a um, a tangible thing? It's sort of implied, or like, how did that kind of work? Another good question. Um, just to follow up on what you were saying, as I work towards the answer, um, you know, when Purple Rain came <laughs> out, and it was the biggest record in the world, and the giant movie, and you know, Prince was making millions of dollars a month, and um, you know, we were all anxiously waiting the next record, and it was. Is that record called Around the World in a Day? Yeah. Or what's that? Right after right. Purple Rain is Around the World in a Day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was such a left turn from yeah. Purple Rain. Like, yeah. I think everyone was just like, what the fuck? Yeah. And the that zag. proved to be Prince's thing. Because like you were saying, there was dots connecting, like, controversy to 1999. Like, you can see the arc. And then Purple Rain was that culmination of all that. And then just poof, way off in left field, you know? So I think Backdance was... Bat- man but bad dance in particular yep sort of was the new prince mm-hmm. sort of it was like him being reborn practically and then graffiti bridge um i swear i saw prince go through like a really dark time because like i never saw him not in costume like he was always in like pantsuits and heels and makeup and like every time i saw him except like there was this era in graffiti bridge where he would just come in like all gnarly and like a sweater and not made up and just um, kind of like a loner, and I don't know what's going on in his personal life per se, but it was like sort of like this dark period. And then Graffiti Bridge was a terrible fucking movie, in my opinion. Yeah, a pretty good record, but um, so we never like when he directed the movies. Those were those were tough, man. No, Madden Under the Cherry Moon is tough. Fucking terrible. <laughs> Great album though, you know, you get Parade so, out of it, but exactly. Um, but so. The um, Diamonds and Pearls was sort of my main record I worked on with, and the Symbol record. And both those records was him trying to reinvent himself. And he never said anything like this to me, but you know, putting rappers on, tons yeah. of loops. And yeah. there's a lot of music he loved, and it was nothing that he really sounded like. And he was almost kind of trying to draw inspiration from what was going on in music right then. This really hard, edgy... Um, and for me, it was depressing because I really loved that stripped down funk type shit yeah. and just having all these shit going on and all these rappers and all this stuff I just didn't think was what he should be doing like what do I know I'm not fucking Prince but <clears throat> so it was clearly intentional and why I don't really know I think he just felt like what was going on was so much cooler than what he was I swear he was like looking for something you know yeah yeah I'm sorry not to cut you off I just I oh. you know looking looking at his arc and again like you know I'm like I'm very young when when those records are coming out, but like as a fan of his and like analyzing his catalog, it seems like that era is like the first time. And I've heard people say, I've heard like Questlove say this, I've heard a, a bunch of people say this, but like this is like that's kind of the first era when he's trying to like he's trying to like chase the chase the wave instead of like creating the wave himself. Exactly. And so um, it's kind of yeah that that's and I love Diamonds and Pearls, I love that record. Um, I'm not just saying that because you're on here, but I just I that's I love a lot. You know, it's got I love, a lot of good stuff on it. I love Get Off. I love Cream. You know, um, I think I can never take the place of your man is on that record. Um, so I, you know, he's there's a lot of good songs, but at the same time, it's like I talked about this with Talking Book. You know, when the when the when you're young, you know, Stevie's like 22 when he drops Talking Book, and he drops Music of My Mind and Talking Book in the same album. So that like prolific shit where you have like kind of genius pouring out of you. Like, that's what it was like with Prince, with the early shit. And so to see them get to that point where, like, they're kind of on the down 
part of the arc a little bit. Like you're still able to to hit those moments of of greatness, but it's just not as consistent and it's not as prolific. And so, um, I don't know. It's just it's just tough. And, and he sorry to interrupt. No, go ahead. He was you know he did ask me, and I still don't know why per se. But at one point he asked me like, if someone's a genius, are they always a genius? Mm. And I was like. I didn't have an answer at the time. I don't even know what I said. I was like, because I've thought about it a lot since then. But I think he was kind of saying, like, people call me a genius. And yet, you know, I don't think he felt like a genius necessarily. Certainly at that point, that was probably Diamonds and Pearls era where he was like, um, so I think, yeah, he was chasing things more than, and kind of the rest of his career, not that he didn't have great music. But um, it was a struggle for him from almost from then on, I think. Well, you know, after then, he brought in Carmen Electra to rap on an album, and I think that that brought in a whole new, that ushered in a whole new era. Because uh, <laughs> that was a very next album, right? Sorry, not, not, to, not to derail us, but that you just kind of talked about all that, and it just made me, you talked about bringing in rappers and all these other things, and I thought, and then he really experimented and brought in Carmen Electra. <laughs> like, I think Kirstie Alley has some things on that. Like, it's just a, it's, it's a weird album. Well, a thing that's weird, too, is that he had this kind of like he started with this contentious relationship with rap where he was just like, I can't I don't know if it's like Billy Jack bitch or whatever he's talking about. And he's kind of like hating on rap and uh, or no, um, dead on it. That's what it is. Sorry. Uh, dead on it. He's like hating on rap. And then, you know, eventually he gets to a point where he's like, well, you know, it's the wave. It's not a fad. It's you know, it's it's. It's I got to hop on it. And so he's like, you know, he has this posse and, and his posse has these rappers like Tony, whatever his name is. And that's and it's just like cringe. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I don't know. And I, I liked how I mean, I wouldn't call it rap per se, but Prince included like spoken word, you know, people yeah, yeah. call me rude. I would like like this more. But he was so musical that I think you know, he, it was hard for him to just not be musical, you know, like just busting out of him and. Cause I never saw him try to like rap like a rapper per se. Like I never saw him freestyle or something like that. He was a musician who was very polished and very, he architected things very, very finely, you know? So that was sort of the opposite of the way he thought. Yeah. Tony was nice guy, a fucking disaster in terms of putting that on a Prince record. Yeah. 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 Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about too, kind of going backwards a little bit. I wanted to talk a little bit about your, um, your experience at Berkeley, um, again, drawing not to just, I'm trying to relate to you, right? I'm trying to get on, get on your level yeah. a little bit, but I like, I didn't go, I went to Iowa state. Um, I didn't go for music. I was at a point where, you know, I think that I was good enough to do music in college, but I wasn't, I didn't have the passion necessary for, it. and music is like fucking competitive, bro. Like it's incredibly competitive. Were you gigging and, and stuff at that point yeah. in your life? I was. Um, I did a few gigs in college and I went to, I tried out for the jazz combo at, at Iowa State and I got a call back and I didn't go. I didn't go to the call back. And I think that it was me like sabotaging myself. And I, I still think about, I'm 31 years old now and I still think about that 18. Like, why didn't I go? I went to the, you know, I went to music hall, I looked on the sheets and I, I had my name back for a callback and I just didn't go. And, and so my, my question for you about like Berkeley, like, did you find yourself, what was that competitive environment like? Like, was it super intense or, um, how did you kind of navigate that experience? 
Yeah, it was weird because I I felt like totally out of my league in one sense as like this person from a small town in North Dakota, you know, like like a hick. Um, but I sort of, and this is, sounds fucking stupid sort of, but like I sort of found myself at Berkeley. Like I entered there a very insecure um, country boy sort of and left there like feeling like I can fucking do this. And I think just being able to play with the tools and like meet people who you could really um, play off of, which is one of my greatest loves in life now is like collaborating. Like I think that's when I found some of my tribe. I don't know what the right word is. And so it was daunting and it was not at all like going to college. You know, I, I look at a college and I think, God, that looks fun. Like there's lawns and malls and fraternities and you go to parties and you meet girls and like... Berkeley was nine to one men to women. So it was like, I didn't get laid in Boston. This <laughs> I wish was a joke. It was like, no, it was music the all the time. <laughs> was, was there, was there anyone at school that like you went to school with that went on to success that, that you saw later? Or do you kind of feel like you were one of the more successful people from that program? Um, in terms of like popular music, I mean, certainly there's Berkeley grads that have done way better than me. But in terms of my friends and stuff, I would say I probably worked with the most famous person, I guess. Um, a bunch of jazzers. I had friends who were jazzers. And a lot of people use it to get into other kind of careers, you know. So I'm not aware of anyone that kind of did more than I did in that sense. Like I said, I'm... No one has heard of me at Berkeley College of Music. I'm not on a wall anywhere or something like that. I was nobody and still am. <laughs> on our uh, college episode, we were we kind of talked a little bit about um, kind of our expanding music tastes. I, I talked about how, you know, I feel like in high school, you have a very personal connection to music because, you know, you're emoting a lot and you're, you know, you're kind of in your feelings more and you feel like the your favorite artists are kind of, you know, expressing your emotions in a way that you can't maybe in that type of thing. And then in college, you're kind of just like introduced to if it's, you know, you're going to live music shows more or whatever else it is, you're kind of your musical taste changed a little bit, too. Um, I was really introduced to classic rock in college. Like I'd never heard of Boston. I'd never heard of, you know, um, some of the, you know, Zeppelin you're talking about. Like I, I knew who they were, but like, um I hadn't listened to a, a song off of Dark Side of the Moon until I got to, to college and things like that. And I was introduced to new people. Um, Iowa State is a very, um, it's a rural college. A, a lot of rural farm kids go to Iowa State to learn how to like manage their parents' farms and stuff like that. And so um, it was just very white. And I was <laughs> introduced to a lot of white <laughs> And so, uh, you know, you just, you, you, it, it informs what you're listening to. And it kind of, you know, you're just, um you're introduced to new shit so like what we talked a little bit a bit about your early you know music listening like what happened you're in i imagine it's different being in school for music but like what are you listening to while you're at berkeley it, it was a huge um awakening for me like being at berkeley and being a, a around the people that I got introduced to. Like I said, like I'd never heard, listened to the Beatles closely. I, I kind of thought they were lame. And I had friends who were like, sit the fuck down. We are listening to this record. Or like Sly and the Family Stone. It, like, um, And they get this is post-Purple Rain for me. So I was starting to figure out Prince's influence and stuff like that. But um, I, 
I can't even remember exactly what I was listening to in that era. I mean, I was still, it was in this transition from like, and I, I will always love pop music. Like to this day, my playlists are very eclectic where I'll play shit and people are like, what the fuck? Oh, you're playing Kelly Clarkson. I'm like, I fucking love this song. I don't hey, fucking man, care. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> can confirm. Can she confirm. can blow. <laughs> exactly. So kind of that transition point between like realizing there was a ton of music that I haven't had not heard and there still is like Tim knows like I would come in and go like have you ever heard this band like Muse and he'd be like yes everyone's heard of Muse like, they're really good it's like yeah we know <laughs> like I rediscover music all the time and you know I feel ignorant still about a lot of great music and I I ask everyone practically like who do you love or my trick question is like who would your spouse or your friend say is your favorite artist? Because it's really hard to answer, like, who's your favorite artist? But, like, who would your spouse or your friend say is your favorite artist? And then I'll just type it in my phone right then. And I can, as, like, a reminder. And I've been introduced so much music that way, just, like, asking people, even to this day. People are like, you've never heard that? I was like, no. Or who's that band? And they'll be like, you don't know who this is? Like, no. This The world is so huge in that sense, you know? It's, it's kind of interesting how, like, when you get, immersed in in a you know a, a particular genre or a particular world like i remember um i used to see brian setzer uh, at a bar in, in northeast all the time and, and we would sit down and chat and he'd always ask me like what are you listening to these days or, or how are you hearing music how are you learning about new music because you almost never get introduced to new music through the radio because it's become very redundant and reductive and and uh, and so he always want you know, you know, I'd be like, well, actually, I probably get introduced to more new music through YouTube, which is not, you know, now it's pretty, pretty conventional to do that. But, you know, 10 years ago, it was pretty non-conventional to, to kind of get through that thing. And, and I could see kind of for him, uh, you know, he had this kind of like this appetite for how do you find new music? I'm kind of trapped in my world where I don't know how to discover new things. Uh, so I can imagine... Uh, that you probably kind of go through some of that too. Yeah, and like this is the era of, you know, the first era, the first wave of LP records, you know, where you would sit down to listen to music and to a whole record of music, you know, and that, you know, you'd, you'd learn, you'd get turned on a new music by people playing a record for you and you would sit down and listen to it together. Now I love like Apple Music where I can just go to new music playlists and just find a little wedge into some new artists I've never heard and discover whole ranges of things like just like that. But back then, yeah, it was like your friends. And that's why like in North Dakota, I did not have huge wide musical influences. And Berkeley was a huge awakening for me in that sense, having a lot of people telling me what I should be listening to. I have a question um, kind of like engineering wise, and I don't know a lot about it because i don't have a lot of i basically have no experience recording music like it's it's i'm pretty bare bones there but i I guess i just had a question in terms of like because i know you worked with artists other than prince but Mm -hmm. even with your your stuff with prince in terms of the different styles of songs and even on the on a record like um diamonds and pearls where you have songs like sexy motherfucker where it's kind of like jam sessiony james browny you know organy type shit Versus like a cream, which is a more traditional, like even like a pop rock type of song. Um, so like, what are are you the differences in, in in engineering those records? Is it just like you know, um, 
well, we're going to distort these mics a little bit, or they, like, how do you, how are you getting the different sounds? Are they, is Prince telling you, I want this type of sound for this one. I want this type of sound for that one. Like how, how does that process work? It varied a lot. I mean, a couple like anecdotes from the Prince project, um, like money don't matter tonight, which is, mm -hmm. I think a great song on diamonds and pearls. Prince, I sang in the studio by himself. We'd hang the mic right over the console and he would kick everyone out of the room. So on that song, like I set the levels and then I left and then he sang for an hour and I came back in and every, the needle was just absolutely, and it was fried. It was completely fried. And, you know, at one point I was like, that's completely fried, but I kind of like it. And he's like, yeah, I kind of like it too. And we left it like that. And the total vocals totally fried on that. Or like sexy motherfucker. We had like a SM 57, like a super cheap common microphone that Levi was doing that sexy motherfucker line on. Mm. It sounded terrible, you know. We had to do a ton of things to make it sound even passably good, you know. And that whole session was just fucking chaos. Like, he had the whole band in the studio and, like, and in general, Prince, you know, always knew what he was doing. So sometimes, like, with Cream or something, he would come in, like, it was completely constructed in his head. And he would just bang it out the whole thing. And a lot of times he'd play the drums and stuff himself and then have Michael Bland play it later and stuff like that. But he always, you know, had the roadmap in his head. Except, you know, there was a few times in the Diamonds and Pearls symbol era, symbol record era where he really liked his band, like Michael Bland on the drums, Sonny on the bass, and Levi. And he really trusted those guys and he didn't really trust many people. He was better than anybody else. He truly was. But there was a few musicians that he actually like trusted, and that's when they would go into the studio live and play songs. And sometimes they'd do twelve songs in a day, and we'd spend you know three years finishing three of them, and you know four of them are still in the vault, untouched like that. You know, so it it varied a lot. So, so that 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 brings me to to two questions. First of all, so you're talking about a love symbol album where he's trusting his band. Um, Michael, you actually are credited with playing bass on a Love Symbol uh, <laughs> album track, Blue Light, correct? Yeah. Uh, how the fuck did that happen? Well, Tim, <laughs> <laughs> um, that's near the end of my career with Prince. I started um, producing more, I guess you'd say, and writing. Ingrid Chavez, which, who was one of his protégés who was in the movie Graffiti Bridge, had this spoken word record, like poetry, and Prince was would recorded all her poems, her just saying them, and then he would make music and then put them into the song. And I was like, can I try one? And he was like, sure. So he Candle Dance was the first song I ever wrote for the Prince Project, which is on Ingrid's record. And then a few others, yeah, Winter Song, Candle Dance, Hippie Blood. That's the first time he really let me like make music where I was actually playing things. Um, but he was working on Blue Light, and I'm not like a huge reggae person per se. Like, I'm certainly no master reggae person, but it just was not very reggae, and he was trying to make it reggae, and it didn't sound reggae, kind of. And at some point, I was just like, can I work on this? And he let me. So, like, maybe two nights where he was out at somewhere where he was not in the studio, I played around with it, so I put the bass on, and I was trying to think of the most reggae kind of bass I could think of, and then I put a keyboard part on, and he, again, he laughed in my face when he heard it. He thought the keyboard part was terrible, but, and so I didn't think he liked it at all, and I got fired shortly thereafter, so I didn't think 
he would keep any of that. So when that record came out, I had no idea I would be on there. And I saw like bass, my cop was like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> like he left my bass on there. I was <laughs> flabbergasted. What a story. Uh, that's, that's incredible. Yeah. I know. I love the idea of not only did you record for Prince, but you thought for sure he wasn't going to include it. <laughs> like he, yeah. he hated you enough to fire you, but liked you enough to keep you on the album. No, it does say something about him that, well, he, he was always good about crediting things, but the fact that he left that bass part in, even though he fired me, I think it's pretty amazing. It's because it's that good of a bass part, Tim. Uh, I, I've heard that, Michael. I'm going to just move on to my next question. <laughs> uh, but no, the other thing that you said that I, that I thought of, uh, see how seamless that was? I'm a professional. Uh, was that you, know, you, would list, you would record something forever and you'd get, you know, three really good, good, you know, four really good recordings and then three would go into the vault. Um, how many good albums could come out of Prince's vault that has never been released? Good question. I think um, my belief is, although I know that there's a ton of stuff in there um, that Prince, you know, after I stopped working with him, which was like 92, 93, you know, he made records for, 20 fucking years so i think he tried to get every bit of goodness out of that vault that he could i don't think there's any purple rain sitting in there you know um because i think he if he wasn't using it, it was for a reason like so people kind of think like oh it's full of all these masterpieces like no prince put out a ton of shitty records frankly at least even prince fans you can like name the last five Prince records and they can like most people did not follow his career that closely because he just was off in never, Neverland a lot of the time, you know? So I don't think there's tons of stuff. I have a love hate relationship with like the deluxe versions of things. Like I think Prince would sort of hate some of what people are putting out now, like a 24 song version of, you know, these ginormous track lists of shit that Prince didn't necessarily want people to hear. You know, he was a perfectionist and a control freak. And the notion that we should just go in the vault and just put it all out, it's fine. Like for archivists or people, historians or whatever, it's fine. I, but to me, it's not what Prince was trying to do with his music. He liked this highly architected stuff, you know. So I'm not someone that's going to sit and listen to the fourth outtake of some song or, or give a shit about any of that. I like his a few of his records yeah i feel like a lot of that i mean it's in the vault for a reason and you know they can't all be winners as they say and he you know it's someone who's wrote as much shit as he did and who just you know performed as much shit as he did and like i'm i'm kind of the same way like i'm good on a lot of the vault stuff there's you know two or three things in there that like the real prince heads even like I mean, even way deeper than I am, or just like, you know, give me all of it. But like, to me, it's just like, I'm, I'm good with the, with the content that we have and that he wanted us to have. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of with Michael on that one. So, uh, taking a break from Prince here, who are some of the non Prince artists that you worked with that you really enjoyed working with? Um, I worked with PM Don a little bit, and this is while I was working with Prince. No way. And, and they were what? really <laughs> fun. <laughs> I only worked on a couple of songs with them. They were actually at Paisley Park. Um, one of my regrets in life is they asked me to do some other work with them 
to go travel and work with them, and I was busy, and I said no. Son of a Michael! Oh. <laughs> I'm like, why did I say no to that? I think I was going to a wedding or something like that, and I social stars overworked by Princeton. I was just kind of like, I thought they would call again, and they never did. But my funny story about PM Dawn is um, those guys would sit in the studio with their heads bobbing when things were working, and I would reach over because I'm like an audio guy. And they'd have everything straight up the middle, and I would go pan something to the, to the left, and the, their heads would just stop. And then I'd move the back, and then I was like, all right, I'm not going to fucking pan things anymore. Because they knew what they were doing, and they wanted it straight up the middle, and that was that. People can't see this, obviously, but like when he dropped PM Don, like my face was like, <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. I've known Michael for years, and I did not know that fact about PM Dawn, and that one blew my mind too. That's uh, that's fantastic. Uh, ah, I have a in the Paisley era. No, go ahead. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just gonna say, like MC Hammer was there, and I worked on a few of his songs. Not, I was not instrumental in anything, but just was around him, which was just a spectacle and kind of funny. But then I worked with um, Booker T and the MGs was probably the next most famous people I worked with and that was a fuck ass. We were at this sweet studio in like Napa Valley with all of the original Booker T and the MGs and Booker's a super nice guy and he like put me under his wing. I was like this young Prince engineer to them and here's all these like greats from you know I don't have to say anything else. This is a great fucking man, great musicians with a great legacy and I was like kind of like nobody except that I'd worked with Prince and it was just super fun hanging out with those guys and getting to know Duck Dunn and Steve Cropper and Booker T and stuff like that. <clears throat> I swear I, that um, Steve Cropper was hitting on me at one point. <laughs> I don't know that he's gay, but I couldn't tell in, in that particular I, I've seen pictures of you uh, as a young man and, and uh, just those those piercing There's eyes, something. Michael, I, I could see uh, just... <laughs> So, so you were, you know, you said you were out there in Napa Valley. So, how much for this for this job? I mean, obviously, you did a lot of work at Paisley Park, but you did have, you know, some travel involved. Were you doing some engineering work at other studios? Were you going other places? I, uh, you know, you've you've told me stories about, you know, encountering other people. Obviously, Prince is writing for other people, but kind of how much exposure to. Uh, the other parts of the recording world outside of Paisley Park were you getting? Well, during the Paisley era, it was only with Prince. And you know, I went to L.A. and London and stuff with him and worked on a lot of his side projects. But before I got fired, like, um, I could see the end coming. Like, you know, I was getting more mouthy and more opinionated. And, and, and you know... It, there was this crossroads, and again, my maybe second regret, or first, second, third, I won't get into all my regrets, but there was a time I did a song for Prince that he really liked, and he was like, you know, gotta take you downtown and, like, sign you up, sort of, he was gonna make me sort of, like, Levi, who was, like, this Paisley Park producer, and I was kind of like, I didn't quite give him the enthusiasm he thought I would, like, he thought I, th I should be honored, I think, and I was sort of like, I don't know, man is the regret part because I'm like should I have just drunk the fucking Prince Kool-Aid and see where that had gone like yes 
retrospect would suggest, but <laughs> my point is, um, I got a manager who did like producer engineer stuff while I still work for Prince. And you know, I was like, you know, obviously I don't need someone to manage. You're not taking a piece of my Prince work, but I want to do other things too. And then I got fired not that long after that. So I had like a pretty good manager for a while who got me some great gigs like that Booker T one. So yeah, I went to Australia um, a couple times and London and out um, LA a bunch of times and did a lot of recording after Prince for maybe like three, four years. And then I started an internet business that kind of was distracting me from that. And the jobs were getting worse and worse. I wasn't one who was really pimping myself right about, I know people work on one print song and make a career out of it. And I wasn't really that kind of a person and short attention span and just sort of let it slip away eventually. Well, if, if, uh, if you had kind of drank the, the Prince Kool-Aid, as you said, you wouldn't have the opportunity to be here talking with Arnold and myself. So I, I think you made the right decision. Everything works out like it's supposed to. <laughs> this is the moment where I realize that I no longer regret that. <laughs> so are you, um, are you still recording stuff like on your own consistent, uh, consistently, or is it just kind of like whenever you feel like it or how is that? Yes. I mean, to both of those, it's kind yeah. of when I feel like it, but it's a constant in my life. Um, and I love, like I said, I love all kind of music. So I will do something like acid jazz and I'll do like trying to do dance songs and then I'll do super acoustic-y and singer-songwriter shit and hard rock. So I, I just really like, you know, when I listen to music, I'm like, I want to do something like that. And I'll, you know, not rip it off per se, but be inspired by things. Like I've done a bunch of like hard rock stuff lately just because I like guitars and like I like like hard rock. It's not what I listen to all the time, but yeah, so I'm always recording, and I go through waves of, like, trying to get people to care. Like, I want to sell songs to people, I, I want to do a band, and let's do some gigs, and listen to my songs, and eventually I'll be like, fuck, no one gives a fuck. And then, eventually, you, you can't stop as an artist, you can't ever really stop, so I just have to come to terms with it. Like, I do it for me, and the amount of people that give a shit, I can't control. Yeah, I'm not single-minded enough that, that I'm ever going to be known for one thing, and that's just what I signed up for sort of. I, I can tell you that there are periods where Michael didn't want anyone to hear anything that he had. And then there were periods uh, where uh, we'd be working on a canning line and he'd put some music on and he'd turn over to an intern and he'd say, Hey, you like this music? And I'd be <laughs> like, don't answer that. It's Michael's <laughs> own music. Don't just, just, just let it go. I to play this just <laughs> see how I hate when people shove their music down your throat. So, like, I'm never like, hey, check out my music, which is like a drawback if you want to build your fan base. I don't know. But, yeah, yeah. I can't, I can't. I only at times shove my music down people's throats. But it, it is something where, um, uh, Michael, you've had it, uh, you know, it, an ever presence in your life, right? Like, I mean, we had guitars and amps around the brewery, uh, you know, when Todd uh, Haug came in. I, it was already kind of set up that we were going to be able to to jam with this guy who, you know, in a metal band that had music on MTV. I, there's still kind of always a guitar or something or a ukulele or whatever kind of around the brewery. So I think, you know, obviously you're not you're never going to kind of escape all of those things. Uh, but all that said, all the music I've ever played with you, like when you and I have sat down and played guitar or whatever, it's nothing like what when i 
uh, you know, listen to your stuff on Spotify or whatever. It's nothing like that. Um, so what, what are you drawing inspiration from these days? Good question, Tim. Um, you know, I, I'm a songwriter, you know, in my bones, like I've made very little money. I've made more than $0 songwriting, but, um, (laughs) you know, I love melody. And, um, so like I am drawn to to like singer songwriters like Sasha Sloan is one of my favorites right now. Taylor Swift is a fucking great songwriter and or at least she has she works with great songwriters. So um I swear I've got like this multiple personality disorder because I love folky acoustic music. I love piano music and yet I'm driven to try to make pop music and pop songs and rock songs and stuff like that. So I don't know. I don't know, Tim. <laughs> well, I, I ask because, you know, you went through a phase where uh, there wasn't a conversation that we could have that you wouldn't somehow loop back to Ingrid Michelson. No, like, I I would be, <laughs> like, I would be talking about, like, like dissolved o- oxygen in, in our cans, and somehow, in three <laughs> minutes later, we'd be talking about Ingrid Michelson. But then the next song you would have me listen to sounded nothing like that. So it's like what you like and what you absorb uh, just doesn't seem to come through in your music, but it, maybe maybe there's a part that I'm missing, which is totally well, possible. I think that's, like, common, you know, like... Um... Prince like Joni Mitchell, the Water Boys like Prince. It's like you can't even connect the dots between some of those, maybe with Joni Mitchell at times. But like, to me, it's interesting how people will love an artist and be inspired by them and sound literally nothing like them. So it's not with for lack of trying. Like I try to imitate my my what's the word influences, but this I fail and I go someplace new, and I don't think that's actually failure, but. I haven't, you know, I have a ton of music I never played for anyone just because I don't know how to do it right, you know, like to put out records or release singles or make different bands for things or make just do it all under my name or like what's the right way to bring music to people? And streaming has made this even harder because like you can't like hand people shit anymore. Like, hey, check out my thing. Like, what you're gonna give them a usb drive what are they gonna fucking do with that like i put in their phone like it's really hard to share music if you're not on the streaming service and stuff so like lately i've been putting things on the streaming services because it's the only way i can just be like search for michael koppelman or like my rock band's called fire good like look up fire good and you can check on my shit because i can't get it to you any other way like soundcloud kind of works but not really, you know, like you got to sign up and you can't really listen on your phone unless you do everything right. And it's hard to share music right now, which is weird. Yeah, that that is that's a good point. I remember back in like 2001, uh, I was doing I, I mean, obviously, I, I didn't go to, to school for this and I'm not anywhere near your quality. But I was I was kind of uh, recording and engineering some some demos for for some bands that I knew and I could give them, you know, a CD that they could go hand out to someone. And there's, it's almost like you hand someone a CD and there's almost an obligation to do something with it. Whereas you give someone a link and it's very easy to kind of just ignore it. Right. So that's kind of a weird thing. It's, it's never been easier to share music, but it's never been 
harder to force someone to listen to it. Exactly. And, you know, the timing is never right. Like the way we share music, like I learned this about like Twitter and like Facebook, people aren't going to sit and listen to a song while they're doom scrolling through Twitter. You know, maybe they'll click it for a second, but probably not. Like, yeah, I'll, maybe I'll listen to that someday and then it's gone forever. And so it's like when I'm listening to music, it's like usually in my car or, you know, going for a walk or something where I have to make a decision to listen to music and that's i'm not gonna go search out someone i saw on facebook a week ago that told me about this thing like it's really hard to connect those dots kind of i i know your son is big on on uh on youtube or at least he was is that something you've ever tried to explore to to get your music out was was youtube or have you even thought about kind of the visual media aspect of that i i did throw a bunch of things on YouTube because I was like, people listen, like YouTube is like the biggest media engine in the world. So I was putting songs on YouTube and I'm too lazy to like do visual media. I wish I was less lazy. But so I just have the, a black screen with the song playing, like YouTube music kind of a thing, you know. And, um, you know, probably 10 times the listens of SoundCloud. So not instead of seven, it's 70. But still like, um, you know, kind of like a rounding error sort of, you know. And then I went to Spotify and Apple Music and still now it's like set between seven and 70. But at least I can tell people about it. Um, and that's again, the, my, you know, my lack of focus. Like if I was more focused, I would do music videos or at least do lyric videos or at least do something visually interesting because when people see the black screen it just makes no sense to them so yeah it's something i'm not great at i have do you, you are you a writer no i i uh, i don't <laughs> i've never tried and that's that's <laughs> not my lane um i you know the enjoyment that i get the most out of music is 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 playing live and again, I mean, even in this at this point in time, like the opportunities to play live music in general are, are pretty much non-existent. But um, I miss playing music every day. Like that really is something that I've um, I'm trying to get back to. There's been a couple people I've talked to about starting some stuff, um, and then every once in a while I'll hear some shit. And I'll just get like super inspired and be like, yo, I have to start something. Like I'll listen to like a random like D'Angelo song and be like, okay, I need to like start this band. I need to, you know, um, fulfill my destiny. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I get my, uh, my, my, my kind of my, my final question to you, um, Michael, I guess is just like listening or just kind of reflecting on your, um, your career in music and, and, um, writing and, and engineering and um, where do you kind of um, I guess really just re reflecting back on your career and and the changes like the changes in technology more so more so than the the, the types of music because of course music evolves and everything like that but also technology has evolved and I don't know what it was like for you going from you know if you you know recording on those tracks and, and using reels and stuff like that and the the levels that you're doing the really tactile shit versus you know and then one day like maybe you're using pro tools or whatever it is that you're using like how how is that kind of like where do you where do you see the future going i guess like for 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 the engineering profession for you writing songs like what what do you think that your your future is 
you guys just have great questions. I just want to say some <laughs> top-notch questions. <laughs> um, I love where it's going technologically. Like I, I use um, Apple's Logic, but there's a lot of competing software like that where it's like Paisley Park in my laptop and everything's like saved and you can work on it incrementally. Like it was, you know, really a huge barrier to, to make music that sounded good in the past. And now there's really no barrier to make music sound good. I do think it's interesting, like as an audio professional, like um, there's things you can do to make music sound better, you know, and we do it all the time. And I think kids these days don't give a fuck. And that's fine. I respect that. But like there's times where you're like, well, you know, if you did this, like you would have sort of more tools in your toolbox. I'm not saying that there's any right way to do things because I don't believe there is right ways to do things. If the song is working, you did it right, kind of. But um, it is kind of funny, like, I wonder when people are going to get this thirst for, like, no, I want to know what, how compressors work and why this vocal is so harsh and shit. And, like, how do I make music that actually sounds better? Because I think it seems really easy to just, especially people download the beat from YouTube and then just rap on top of it or sing on top of it. And, like, that's the extent of everything they did. And you're, like, sort of like, wow, you're leaving a lot of things on the table in terms of having control over your music. You know, you're giving you're not focusing on the whole pie. You're kind of looking, and again, no right answer. But um, so to me, like, hopefully there'll be this empowerment of making it easy and lowering barriers. So yes, please download a track off YouTube and sing on top of it. That's awesome. But then that thirst for digging deeper into what all these tools can do, because there's some fantastic production going on right now. Like I'm a producer at heart also. And I guess listen to music. I'm like, fuck, that is so well done. It's so classy and so cool and so simple. It sounds so awesome and backwards reverbs and all sorts of shit going on where you're like, that is really fucking cool. And if you do that on a shitty song, that's still a shitty song. You do it on a great song. You can make it like even greater, you know, and it's a medium like film that's highly contrived, you know, like to make it work right, you have to, focus on a lot of details that people don't really know about you know like there's a ton of work that goes on sort of behind the scenes in making music that's really spectacular just like in any art form you know so i i like that the barriers are really low and i just like my son they'll do they'll download something they'll rap or sing on top of it and i'm like that's cool but you know there's more there's more waiting for you once you get the thirst for it you know so I, I think the only good things will come from the technological aspects that are going on, you know? Awesome. All right. Well, I don't think that we can do uh, a music podcast without maybe making some, some music recommendations. So I'm going to ask both of you this question. I'll start with, with, with Michael. Uh, what are your top, I don't know, three artists bands whatever that you are listening to that you think everyone should be listening to right now okay you can edit out any silence right? <laughs> <laughs> I, well because michael I, I i know you and i love you and i know that so many times that you like to introduce me to bands that i heard 20 years ago uh so that's okay <laughs> if, if you want to be like I recently discovered this band called the Rolling Stones. I don't know if you've heard of them. <laughs> I've heard of them. Yeah. You guys no, should listen mentioned... to a guy named Bobby Brown. <laughs> Bobby Brown, wow. I'm just trying to, scrolling through music here, but like, 
it changes all the time that question and um sasha sloan who's a songwriter a great songwriter has is my favorite writer lately i if you like you know it's sort of maybe taylor swift-esque her more moody stuff but really well produced really well performed and really nice songwriting jade bird i don't know if you've heard her but she's like this uk artist that does like americana and she just sings her ass off and like these super simple songs um and uh i sort of harking back to my youth and i think you you've maybe had me rant about this band before tim but hailstorm is like this (laughs) what i considered like a b-grade rock band Mm -hmm. who's like becoming like an a-grade rock band that their lead singer lizzie hale is a motherfucker she's one of the best rock vocalists i know of or vocal less period so um their last record which is now a couple years old is i think just fucking awesome and i'm getting new stuff all the time you know the black keys i love um I'm gonna stop there, Arnold. Your turn. <laughs> we did our college, our college episode. One of my, uh, one of my albums that I picked was uh, the Brothers album from the Black Keys. Great, great record. Um, I'm gonna go to the past, all of them, because I'm, I'm, I'm. I just, I feel like every time I listen to old shit, it just like I discover just new brilliant stuff that's just like it's it's there for us it's available but a lot of times we just we it, we kind of gloss over it um the first one though isn't like i mean i don't know i'm just gonna i too much preface but the first <laughs> one is, is is uh rufus and shaka khan uh i just you know one of the most brilliant voices ever uh shaka khan and um if it's ask rufus if it's you know whatever just just listen and um i just it's just incredible um geez maybe you need to edit out my silence um (laughs) recommendation for what you're what you should listen to now oh i didn't we didn't get a chance to talk about this on on um on our podcast and i mentioned this in the first episode but i i wanted to talk about it i just i i didn't get a chance to but voodoo D'Angelo's Voodoo, um, one of my favorite albums ever. Um, you talk, we were talking a little bit about bass earlier, and like Pino Palladino is like one of my favorite bassists, and he's just so um, he's just incredible. And you know, Questlove is on that record too, and a lot of Rafael Sadiq produced shit. Um, any any D'Angelo is great, but like Voodoo again, this isn't like some hidden gem, but just like just listen to it. And uh, number one is this is from our post-college album and this is an album that i was aware of but i I didn't get a chance to sit down and listen to it all the way through until we were until i was prepping for that pod but it's um solange a seat at the table which came out in 2016 which i mean the reason that we did that podcast is to is to is to rediscover brilliant music like that it's i listened to it all the way through for the first time like last month or whenever we did that pod and it became it's one of my favorite albums of all time um yeah yeah i i will say that i i did not um, i was familiar with but i had not really kind of listened to that album in depth until you guys talked about that on the pod and i went back and i listened to that and i was kind of it's like holy shit blew me away right completely blew me away so yeah those are my yeah. recommendations. Yeah, awesome. that, I'm typing things in as you talk. <laughs> yeah, no, that that Solange album. Seriously, that um, 
<laughs> it's incredible. I, I, yeah, it, it, it was just one of those where, like, you know, I was familiar in passing it, you know, and it's not necessarily, uh, you know, a, a genre that I, I spend a whole lot of time in. I, you know, I, I bounce around a lot. Uh, but then to go back and, like, give that, like, a, a serious genuine... Well, because, again, like, Michael, you were talking about how the way you you used to consume music was by an album, right? Mm-hmm. You would sit down, you would listen to, you know, track one to six, and then flip it over, and then, you know, seven to 12 or whatever, you know? Like, you would listen to the whole thing. Um, and it's been a while since we've kind of done that. And, and that's what's kind of cool about... Uh, Arnold, what what you and Emily are doing is it's kind of reintroducing me to the love of an album and and the production of an album, right? You know, it's I it's one. That, man. I definitely appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. that's what we're doing. Me it's, soon. it's one thing to to like produce a song, but it's another thing to like put an entire album together. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah, for sure. One hundred percent. Also, can you can hear the Prince influence on the seat at the table? Very heavy Prince influence on that one, so highly recommend. Awesome, Jim. Are you gonna give your answers to this? Yeah, you know, I put you guys in the spot, and then I was like, oh, <laughs> shit, I don't know. Um, uh, the first artist that I'm going to th- say that everyone should be listening to, he's absolutely my favorite, favorite artist of the last, um, I don't know, year and a half. He's a local artist, Nerdy. Uh, who is, um, man, he always just talks about himself as this humble kid from Rosemont. Uh, but he is putting out some of the most amazing hip hop right out right now out of, out of the Twin Cities. He puts on a fantastic show. His show at First Avenue last year, he and the entire band were all wearing Space Jam uniforms. <laughs> like he was in the Bugs uniform. I. Uh, his albums are fantastic, but to see him live, he has a whole band with a horn section. To bring this back, Michael, to to the band nerd side of this, you need to go check this guy out and see his entire band. They are very tight. He puts on a great show. His flows are flawless. Uh, he he spits about beating you at chess. Like it's the it's the weirdest kind of beautiful flex that a guy can throw but it's it's amazing i love everything the guy is putting out there and he is i i've gotten a chance to talk to him a couple times he's the nicest guy ever as well so i want nothing uh but success and love for that guy uh he he actually just got retweeted by chance the rapper the other day and i thought that was fantastic he because he was like a kid in a candy store when i saw that uh, the next one is also going to be uh, a local artist, uh, May Simpson. May Simpson, again, is often backed by a phenomenal soul band that can can wail. Uh, but that woman has pipes. She's all of like five foot two, and she sings like she is ten feet tall. Uh, she can sing out of the mind, out of her mind, and her soulful lyrics are just incredible. Just to to be in the same room when she's singing is uh, incredible. If you have not heard of May M A E Simpson, please check her out. Uh, she is um, just humbling. My 
my daughter loves listening. We put that that album on when she's she's studying, and I'm like, man, I'm so glad my daughter's listening to some fantastic stuff because we listen to so many Frozen soundtracks and all of that. It, Arnold, you know, and- I do. Man, <laughs> I got traumatized when you said Frozen soundtrack. <laughs> I got a, a four year old. Uh, yeah, well, and and then- it- go ahead, Michael. Did, did you freeze? I, you froze for a second. Keep going. I'll interrupt you later. Okay. You're so going. Yeah. Um, the last one. Well, shoot, man. I think I'm going to keep it local. And I think the one that I'm going to to uh, talk about is uh, Jeremy Messersmith. So, uh, you know, I talked about a, a fantastic hip hop, local hip hop artist, one that is probably soul, hip hop, jazz, fusion. And then I'm going to go to Jeremy Messersmith. Uh, who writes fantastic pop songs, did an entire album all with ukulele songs. Um, Just a relatable guy who writes really smart, uh, wry, sardonic lyrics. He's the type of songwriter that I've always wished I could be, that I've always aspired to be, but I've never been as clever as he is. Um uh, so yeah, they're all three local artists, but but I think those three are the three that I kind of want to pump. That's awesome. I was going to interject like it's a different question and for a different time, but um, I have this notion of like perfect records. Like there's only a handful of perfect records I think that each of us have, but um, much less current, like my perfect records are not recent records, generally speaking, but I think it's really fun to talk about perfect records, like a record that A, you love every song, you love how it all fits together, and you never get sick of it. Like Pink Mood by Nick Drake comes to mind for me, like it's a perfect fucking record, and like I can listen to it on repeat for the rest of my life and be perfectly happy, but someday we can talk about that. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, the perfect record pod is coming, yeah, that's next (laughs) next pod. Awesome. Well, awesome, man. I this has been a, a great. I think we've probably gone on long enough. Uh, Arnold, is there any other kind of question you have for Michael, or anything else you you want to say? No question. Just thank you, man. Thank you, thank you, Michael. Thank you, Tim, for for putting this together and having me. Um, I'm honored, man. I'm I'm in the presence of greatness, so I'm just I'm honored to <laughs> to have a chance to talk. And um, Tim's not that great. <laughs> 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 no nah, man, it's it's been incredible. It's been it's been rolling. It's been really great. And um, yeah, we got to do this one again sometime. Let's. This has been super fun. Thank, thank you, Tim. Thanks for including me. Nice to meet you, Arnold. This was really fun, and the time just flew by. Yeah, no, I was I was impressed. And you know, Arnold and I were talking about how long we might go on this, and I was like, well, we'll 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 see what we get. Uh, we'll just kind of get talking. Uh, Michael's really quiet and shy and doesn't like to say things. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, uh, this has been fantastic. We will definitely do part two of this. I think we have a whole lot of other things. Arnold, I can imagine if if we can get Emily to come on this, she'll have oh, like a whole other host of opinions. Michael, if you have not listened to Culture Check, please do. Uh, those totally two will. are the perfect compliment and contrast for each other when they talk through things because there are some ways where they have shared experiences that the rest of, of 
their listening audience don't understand. And then they have some things where they don't understand each other. And it's a beautiful kind of balance between those two things. Um, just sharp-witted commentary on everything. So, uh, again, this has been a very special TGS Presents. Once again, I am Tim Johnson, joined by Arnold Woods with our very special guest, Michael Koppelman. We are very grateful. Please check out all the other Tailgate Society podcasts, Sports and Corks, Matinee Baseball, We're Not That Drunk, Bitter Units, Old Man Strength, Drunk Dialing, Culture Check. Wow, from memory, this is pretty good. I'm it's incredible. Doing not trap mine, that brother. Bad <laughs> man, I'm proud of everything we're doing at the Tailgate Society. Arnold, is there anything I'm missing or anything else we should be plugging at TGS? I don't even, I think you covered most of it. All of our writers are great. Um, check out our articles, listen to the pods, um, consume dead eye barbecue sauce, all that great stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, fantastic. Well, once again, guys, we thank you for joining us and we will see you next time.